This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. It's Binge Boys, Hal Rudnick sitting across the Zoom from Lon Harris. Hoot, hoot. Lon, what is happening? Just the same old stuff, man. We got new president. Everything else is the same. Happy Inauguration Day to you, Lon. We are recording this on Inauguration Day, everybody. It's a historic day in America. We have a female vice president. Yes. Mitch McConnell is the minority leader. A lot of movement on the political landscape. Yeah. Homelessness over. Trump got into a helicopter and flew the yeah. fuck off. And Climate uh, no longer changing. You know, racism eradicated. It's a new day. I mean, let's uh, pump the brakes there. <laughs> COVID disappeared instantly. That was crazy. Actually, you're just listing the, the slate of problems that President Biden has inherited. Uh, yeah, you know, listen, if you take one thing away from today's podcast, it's that you can go outside without a mask now. You don't need it anymore because Biden is president. Now, Lon's true anti, anti-masker, anti-vaxxer. It, well, what, that, it just, if your party is in charge, then, then that's your policy, I assume. That's, that's what I assume. My guy's in there now, so COVID's no big deal, right? Isn't that how it works? Lon, you know, maybe we should take this up on our political podcast. Yeah. Fringe, boys. Boys. <laughs> Fringe boys. Fringe boys, ballot boys. <laughs> we both had Chime one. In. We both had one there. Yes. Okay, so Lon, any streaming news that you want to hit on this historic day? Wow, you're all business today. It's a it's a historic day in America. I'm trying to I'm taking a moment here to bask in it, and you're like, listen, fuck freedom. And democracy. I want to talk about streaming news. Well, fine, Hal. That's fine. Okay, well, we listen. I, I'll tell you one of my one of the funniest things I saw at, at the inauguration. I was in. I was enjoying watching the Obamas chit chat with J Lo and A Rod. I just found yeah. it pretty funny that A Rod uh, was at the inauguration. I feel like A Rod. That probably happens to A Rod a bunch. Where it's like J Lo's going to perform somewhere. She's part of some official event. You know, she's like a UN ambassador at this oh, point. Is she? She's like a world figure, J-Lo. And A-Rod's no sack of shit. I mean, like, he was a ball player, but like internationally, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's the same. I mean, A-Rod was a big deal. A-Rod was a big deal. It's not to diminish the fame of A-Rod. I'm just saying it's like a different thing to be like an international pop diva. He probably finds himself a lot in a situation where he's at some event he would not normally be at because, well, J-Lo's going to do a thing. You know. Yes, the Latin Music Awards, the Latin right. Grammys. Right, so it's like, okay, well, now I'm here, and I'm going to chat up Shakira, and normally I would not be in this situation, but here I am, hanging with Juanes. But A-Rod got around, but like, uh, yeah, it's, talking to uh, Obama, the Obamas, I thought was... <laughs> yeah, just like, okay. Did, did you think you know. Lady Gaga's look was two Hunger Games, or just Hunger Games enough? 
It's a dove. It's not a mockingjay, folks. There's more than one bird. It was just so big. Like that's it's it was twice the size of a of a standard brooch. I think that's what what stood out to everybody else was the Hunger Gamesness of it, which I think also combined with like her just general like Lady Gaga has already a Hunger Games baseline. I mean, I would have been disappointed if there wasn't a, a level of Hunger Games to Lady Gaga. Yeah, outfit. Lady Gaga always looks like she's going to an event in the Capitol. She was basically the style inspo for Elizabeth Banks in that movie anyway. Right. So I think that, yeah, we're always talking about, like, you're getting 25% Hunger Games energy from Gaga. Just, like, she wakes up that way. Oh, yeah. Be happy that she didn't wear the meat dress. Okay, yeah, people? she, like, rolls over, hits the alarm, and it's already, like, may the odds be ever in my favor. Like, her day begins that way. Oh, I, I enjoyed the young poet laureate. She was amazing. I I will admit this. Yeah, uh, go for it. They, they were like, here is America's youth poet laureate. And I watched. She, she, did, she did wonderfully. It was a terrific poem. It was well-performed. I have no qualms. I thought the whole time she was like 15, like youth poet laureate, it would be. And I was like, my God, this 14 year old is incredibly poised. I thought she was a child as well. But Amanda Gorman to be in front of the entire station. She's like 22. She's like, it's like she's, yeah, she's 22. Yeah, she's 22. She's not she's not a child. She's like, yeah, a, she's not the poet laureate. She's the younger. She's like the understudy apprentice poet laureate. But I assumed, and I, I guess I'm just not good at, at telling how old young people are. Sure. I was like, my goodness, but this 14-year-old is talented. Like, the whole time. But, but, but age aside, uh, she, she filled me with hope. She was uh, really, really on point. A lovely poem. Oh, and I, you know what? <laughs> I enjoyed me some Garth Brooks. It t- turns out he has friends in high places as well. And uh, <laughs> there's a clip. There's a quick clip that's on social media. And then we, we, you're, you were right. We should move industry. But there was a clip that's on social media that I loved. It was just it panned from Garth Brooks singing "Amazing Grace" to just Mitch McConnell in this like far off death stare, like one <laughs> clean camera movement to just from. It was just like. Going, going from Mother Abigail, like right to Randall Flag, like no, no break, <laughs> no. And what uh, a segue into streaming TV. Yeah, Mitch retreating back into his into his shell. Lon, regale us with some streaming news because you are the author of uh, the streaming newsletter. I write just the it's <laughs> the inside streaming newsletter. And there are there are you have many streaming newsletters to choose from. And and I want to thank you for choosing the inside streaming newsletter. Yes. I'm sure there are others. I don't know of any others, but I'm sure there is one and it's not as good as mine. You know, all those other ones are dead to me. Yeah. Tell me what's I, up. I mean, I mine is the best, but I'm sure there are some, somebody, Vox, I'm sure Vox is doing something, you know. Puppycock rubbish. Anyway, first item, there are only two items today. First one, Zack Snyder. We love talking about Zach. We got to we gotta catch up with this. So now, that if you're following the ongoing Justice League on HBO Max saga. Yes. At first, they were telling us it was going to be a four or potentially even a five episode miniseries. It was going to be more like a TV style event. Well, Zach took to his favorite social media platform and only his favorite, Vero. And he has let us know that no longer. Know. I've never even heard of Vero. What? Because the oh, literally the only one who uses it is, in fact, Zack Snyder. 
that's where Zack Snyder posts all of his news, and then other people copy it over to Twitter. Gotcha. Zack Snyder, not a Twitter fan, a Vero fan. Somehow Vero avoided becoming like the parlor. Like only Zack Snyder is on Vero. It's not like Trump even didn't think to go over there. I think Zack Snyder would, would have been uh, able to communicate with a lot of his fans if he went over to Parlor. Right. I, I, yeah, it's like Zack Snyder's <laughs> over in his own world on v- – it's like when Jeremy Renner had his own app. <laughs> oh, I mean that's a that, – oh, what, what a beautiful moment in time that was. So, yeah, uh, like Vero is basically like if Zack Snyder had his own Jeremy Renner app. But anyway, so he posted now uh, – we're, we're changing that. Now Justice League is one single four-hour movie. It is not a miniseries. It is just a movie. Change your expectations entirely. Well, you know what I say to that? F that. I'm going to watch it in multiple sittings. Oh, you're going to do like, like, remember The Irishman? That was what people did, right? Where they were like, here's how to watch The Irishman in 18 sittings because I'm a piece of trash. I actually saw The Irishman at the Egyptian theater in a very uncomfortable seat. And I was like in the fourth row maybe so yeah that was your mistake the egyptian the balcony is terrific very comfortable the the seats down below not as much yeah i i was paying the price for that the next day oh my sciatica but yeah four hours to, come on well but it is it's hbo max so you will have the option of hitting that hitting that pause button and taking care of taking care of some personal business checking out what's going on 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 Vero, on Parler, on your favorite social media app. Oh, sure. You don't have to watch it all the way through. But it is not a TV show. It's not going to have, like, individual episodes. It's just going to be straight through. Here's Justice League again. Remember this. It wasn't good. Maybe it's good now. I don't think so, but it's possible. But it's definitely longer. It's definitely a lot, lot longer. And more Snydery. Oh, my God. There's spikes on friggin' everything. Yep, spikes on spikes on spikes. Spikes on spikes on spikes. Okay, so that's story number one. Story number two. Uh-huh. Remember the Tiger King? Guys, remember Tiger King? It of seems course. like 30 years uh, ago. Only oh, nine yeah. months uh, ago. Tiger King was the phenomenon of the first part of the pandemic. Joseph Maldonado Passage or Passage. Joe Exotic. Yeah, Joe Exotic. Better known as Joe Exotic. At the beginning of the pandemic, people thought that was going to be the thing that defined the whole pandemic. It's weird to even think back now now that we know this is a years-long process, to think back in March when we all first went on lockdown and Tiger King had just gone up and everybody was like, well, thank God Tiger King's here to get us through this lockdown. It's like, you mean get us through the first four days? Yes. Uh, you yes. know, like it's, it didn't actually like it, it didn't actually have anything to do with lockdown. We just associated it like every show is now the show that's gotten us through lockdown. Oh, but I do have an, my MVP of, this is a whole nother conversation, but my MVP of the pandemic was the uh, National Basketball Association, the NBA. Right. But that's yeah, a, but I mean, that's, they, that's what I mean. We've had a whole year of entertainment. You basically just pick what your favorite entertainment of the last year was, and that was the entertainment that defined the pandemic. Like, I'm sure for some people it was the Queen's Gambit. For some mm-hmm. others, I'm sure it was the Lovecraft country. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like it now it's just 2020 like that. That was like it, it wasn't something as narrow as Tiger King. It was such an innocent time that we yes. thought, well, Rick Kirkham's going to get us through this and then we'll move on. But anyway, <laughs> remember Rick Kirkham? My favorite. My favorite guy. I, I don't even know what that is. Rick Kirkham was the guy, the inside edition tabloid oh, reporter yes, great. who he thought great. he was going to make his own reality show about Joe Exotic. What a fascinating. I could have watched an eight part series about that guy for sure. 
Yeah, he he really lived a life and spun a yarn. Yeah, and now he's like in, he lives in like Norway. Like he, if you watch the follow up stuff, like the supplemental things, he like moved with some woman to Scandinavia and gets recognized in like Danish supermarkets now. Anyway, so anyway, the news about Tiger King: Joseph Maldonado Passage, aka Joe Exotic, had kind of been counting on getting a last second Trump pardon. As mm-hmm. you recall, Don Jr. earlier in the term had sort of suggested that maybe some clemency for Joe Exotic might have been on the table. His name was repeatedly brought up in the in the week leading up to Trump's final day. Like, maybe the Joe Exotic pardon is coming through. Trump did pardon some celebrities. Odak Black got in there. Lil Wayne got in there. But not Joe Exotic. He had a limo waiting at the, at the jail to pick him up. But he, he did not get pardoned. Joe Exotic remains in prison. Oh, not just a limo. It was like a triple stretch pickup truck limo. It was a truck limo, but as you'd really expect. I mean, you'd expect nothing less. from. Him. Oh, yeah. He has a reputation to maintain. Have you ever seen any of Joe Exotic's? I mean, they, I guess they played clips during in Tiger King, but his music videos, which are on YouTube. Oh, sure. That was, it's a major tentpole of Tiger King. Like one of the great... When you're going through Tiger King, you think, like, episode two, you've, like, got a handle on this. Like, I get what this show is going to be. I think I've seen most of the craziest stuff. That's when they bring in the music videos to really, like, knock you for a loop. Like, oh, you didn't see this coming. Oh, yeah. Another moment like that late in it was the tainted meat that they were serving in their own pizzeria. Like, they would go on the meat truck, get expired meat, and then use it on the pizza they were serving to customers. That was like a episode seven revelation. It's like, how? Oh, you were sitting on that one. Well done. Although I, I, I wonder what the business would be for uh, Joe Exotic home frozen pizzas. It's not delivery. It's <laughs> Joe Exotic. Yeah. It's not Fresh Brothers. It's also not fresh, but it oh. is pizza. Yes. So that led me to wonder if you were President Hal, if this was your last day, you get to pardon any TV character you want. From all of TV history, who do you think you would pardon? Could be huh. could be scripted or unscripted. I'm not I'm not going to hold you to that. Okay, you know what? I hereby pardon the entire Seinfeld cast, except except for Kramer, because of the real life <laughs> indiscretions of one Michael Richards. I will say, Kramer, in addition to violating the Good Samaritan laws at the end of Seinfeld. He probably guilty of fraud. I, I I feel like there's enough going on in these other episodes. We could a case could probably be made. Yeah, didn't he? Didn't he open like various businesses like in his apartment? It's a lot of shady businesses. A lot of like false identities being offered. Oh, I mean, while we're at it, he's got interns at one point. George, Mister Art Vandelay himself. How much fraud is he? Well, they all they all have alter egos because because Jerry is also Kelvarnson sometimes. You you're talking me into revoking this pardon, Lon. Let's just move on. Let's just move on. If all you right. could pardon someone. I mean, the the first thing, and I don't think this even just for the television show, I just think this for real life, I think the cast of Prison Break. I think if you can, we're making the prison really hard to break out of. That's on us. Yeah. If the state messes up and you get out, Mm -hmm. free to go. I think that should be the rule. Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't see like, oh, no, we're going to catch you and put you back. It's like, I got out. That's, look. You designed it. I broke free. I beat the system. Yup. I mean, that 
I agree with you there. Like if you're, if you're like, you know, we make the bars, we make the walls, uh, you know, we put the, the razor wire and, and we put a, a dude with a sniper rifle. We have 100% of the advantages. You've got zero. We're putting you in there literally naked as the day you were born. Like you got nothing. Yeah, if somehow you make it into a, a laundry basket on wheels and go into the and make it into the van that goes to the remote location where they do the prison laundry, it's more than good enough. Let me give a tip. I, you know what? I'm not a fan of the prison industrial complex because I think they're uh, committed a, a lot of infractions against peoples in this country. Has a lot of problems with the prison system. But that aside, I'm going to give a piece of advice for the prisons. Do the laundry on site. Don't put the laundry in <laughs> yeah. a van that the drives van. out that through the Always, gates. yeah, that's a big, that seems like a big no-no. Also, why are you letting these people get entire sheet cakes? That's, no, <laughs> what, come on. That's the obvious, like, cut the cake in half at least. You know what? Forget that. We don't need to bring any full cakes into the prison. No more cakes. Here's one, here's one more tip for the prisons. Allow the prisoners to get a hand job in the visitation room. Not at the same time. One at a time. You could take turns. At the same time, now it's just not even a visiting room. Imagine just the smell. Horrible. <laughs> I think you got to space these out, but I'm with you in spirit. A conjugal visitation room is what I would request. Well, I mean, I don't know how that works at all. I feel like it's different shows and films depict that entirely differently, and no one knows the reality of are you allowed conjugal visits when you're in prison? We'll have to. I have delve. no idea of the real answer. Yes, me, me neither. Every single piece of art has a different take on whether you're allowed conjugal. Maybe I wonder if my brother, who's a public defender in Brooklyn, knows the answer to that. Call him up, bro. Let's do not. I hate when podcasts do that, by the way. Oh, just, just blast aside. I know I'm chatty today. Right. But when podcasts are like, they're having a conversation and then they like spontaneously and you can tell it's almost never really spontaneous. So I'm like, we'll call them up. Let's get an answer right now. I hate that. Just just get sure. on with it. Just get on with it. I don't want to call your friend. Yes. Stop it, podcasts. Lon, any other pardons that you wanted to uh, hit or? No. But thanks okay. for asking. Yeah. Coming up, we're going to talk about WandaVision. Juan, Marvel Studios, Marvel TV, Disney Plus, they all teamed up for WandaVision. It is here. It is interesting. It's a it's a look at the MCU that is quite unexpected. And I'd love to hear uh, some of your thoughts. I'll tell you my first big thought. And and, and I feel like this, this kind of clouded a lot of my viewing of the show is I think I, my benchmark for weird is very different from everyone else's benchmark. I did not think this was that weird. It's obviously unconventional in a way. Like it's yes. got it's got a layered premise. There's on one level, it is Wanda and Vision from the MCU have been put in this kind of sitcom world and we're watching this sort of sitcom version of their life together or what could have been. But on another level, it's obviously some sort of Twilight Zone-esque mystery where they're in some kind of simulation and there's another level to this reality that makes it make more practical sense. Because even baseline things like, well, Vision is dead in the narrative of the Marvel film. So how is he here? And like, this appears to be happening back in the 1950s, even though we know these characters are alive in the present day. So we're, we're kind of always following it uh, on these two levels, which is different from a lot of shows which just take place in the real world. Right. 
But, I, I mean, this makes sense, right? Like, did you really ever feel like you were really thrown by what was happening? By the end of the first episode, they basically tell you what's going on. Like, this is not real. It's some sort of simulation. Somebody's watching them and controlling them or they're being held or manipulated in some way. And by the end of episode two, I feel like we almost have the answer. So everybody on the internet and all the reaction to it is like, oh my God, this is such a crazy leap. So surreal. Lynchian. I saw people comparing it to David Lynch and it's like, no, that stuff is genuinely absurdist. And oh surreal. yeah. No, there's and like, this is you know, like t- tell those people to watch Inland Empire. Inland yeah, Empire, the David Lynch film makes bonkers. Mulholland Drive look like a standard linear narrative. Right. And, and this is just like a little odd. It, it, okay. So it was just, it was so highly stylized. I don't know if people were uh, necessarily ready for that. The thing I thought it could have done a little bit more was drop another breadcrumb or two about what was going on like the just who is has them in this simulation is this in Wanda's is this in Wanda's mind did she create the or, or like and why do they have to adhere to the rules of this sitcom universe when they still have all of their powers so I mean I think there are a couple of things that we and that we want to have answered for us I'm sure they'll have an explanation yes I th- eventually uh, I'm certain they will but it didn't bother me at all. I think a lot of people who might be especially put off by it, especially some of the younger fans of the MCU, of which there are many, maybe they're not as familiar with Leave it to Beaver and Dick Van Dyke. I mean, I grew up in an era where you get home from school and <laughs> what's on? The Brady Bunch or Leave it to Beaver and the Dick Van Dyke show? That was my Nick at Night. You know, it was a Dick Van Dyke show. So... I really enjoyed the homage to these different shows. And it was so much fun, I thought, seeing these characters being able to do these very different things. But I, I, especially the first episode, I think the first episode they really could have done just a smidge more fan service. I, I don't, I didn't really care. I, I feel like we've gotten enough of like, here's what's happening. They're in this weird thing and she's kind of in control, but not really. And, Somebody's monitoring them from some organization with a sword in the logo. And, like, I thought they did enough there. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I feel like a show like this, it, it's got to work on both levels. I've got to be curious about what's happening in the real reality of it. But I also, to stay engaged, I have to be entertained by the sitcom stuff. Like, I've got to feel like it works as a sitcom. And it, it is it is fun to see... Elizabeth Olsen and Katherine Hahn and Paul Bettany recreate that acting style. I'm enjoying that. They're doing a good job. Elizabeth Olsen in particular has like a real knack for that like 60s TV voice. Like she's doing a good job of it. I just, but it's impossible for me to really connect with that as like a sitcom. Like it's so, you know, it, 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 it's so caught up in like being a recreation and it's so sticky that it's just like, Okay, that's what they're doing. Like, I don't, it, it's not really keeping my interest. Like, it's not that Paul Bettany wasn't doing a good job of like being wacky. Like, he's got gum in the works and he's all goofy and he's, he's doing it and just don't care. Like, I'm watching it. Like, I have to get through this to find out the next clue about what's really happening. Sure. But I don't really give a shit about them recreating Bewitched. Yeah. To me, the first episode felt like an overlong sketch. Like, I liked it. 
I, I enjoyed the second episode. I, th- I thought there were um, a few more fun bells and whistles going for it. And the magic act at the talent show was delightful. But there's no there there. It's just, it's, it is sketches. It's like, what's underneath that? We know that they're not really there. And they're, we, it's, you can't invest in it as a story or as characters because we know that it's a fraud. It's like, this isn't, this isn't really happening. Right, we're but there were a, some stakes. We're there were like some stakes because... The stakes of them fitting into the neighborhood? Fitting into the neighborhood and not getting found out. I mean, I enjoyed that balance that Wanda was, I enjoyed that tightrope that Wanda was walking when Paul Bettany was uh, essentially drunk. I guess we just disagree on this because that, that, that's what kills it for me is like, I don't care if they get caught by these fake neighbors because they're fake. Like, it's a fake world. These are fake neighbors. Everything can change if she thinks about it. So what does it matter if they get busted for being magic? It's a fake world. Like, I don't I, I, I don't I don't know if you could just switch gears. I want to talk about this. We're going to move on and talk about another show called 30 Coins. And I have a similar kind of observation. Like, I don't know if they could just successfully switch gears like that. They're, I know they, they want to and they're trying, but I just I don't know. It didn't really work for me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm interested it's 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 fun and it's light on its feet and it's well done enough and I'm interested enough in what happens from an MCU perspective that I'm going to keep watching. But the sitcom stuff, already I'm kind of bored of it. Like, all right, yep, it's going to be like, whoop, he's going to trip over the ottoman. And, oh, remember how 70 shows all do this. Yeah, and that, and that goes kind of back to what I was saying. We need a few more breadcrumbs, just a little bit more MCU in your TV homage. I think you have to figure out a way to both both highlight the absurdity of the form that you're parodying, but also do it enough to actually make me interested. It would be like if Scream was just making fun of horror movies, but wasn't actually a successful horror movie. Like what makes Scream good is that it's pointing out horror tropes, but it's also doing them. Like, well, that's going to be difficult because it looks like uh, apparently that they're going to go from style to style to style or show to show to show. That does, you're, you are correct. That makes it very difficult, but I'm not going to let them off the hook just because they, they bit off a big, they, they bit this off like this was what they wanted to do, so I got to judge it on its merits. But you're right, it's hard. Like, what they're trying to do is really hard. Yeah, I, I like it because it's, I, I like it because it's different, and, and like you said, the characters, and like, and it's filled with some great character actors and supporting cast. They're doing these things well, it's f- it's fun to watch, but yeah, it it, it kind of simmers around like oh, overlong SNL sketch. So that's Wandavision. It's on Disney Plus. Check it out or don't check it out. I'm not gonna know. <laughs> and coming up, we are going to check out Regina King's first feature film, One Night in Miami. Lon, Regina King directed her directorial, she, you know, she directed her directorial debut. She did it, and it was the first, it was also the first movie she ever made. Mm Mm-hmm. And she directed it. Indeed. And it was the first time she directed it. Could you say that she helmed it? Was she the helmer? You could say she was the helmer. And also notably, One Night in Miami, which you can find on Amazon Prime, was written by Kemp Powers, who was the co-director and co-screenwriter, I believe, of Soul. Yes. Which recently came out on Disney+, Plus, which was a pretty delightful Pixar fare. So One Night in Miami, I, I really like this 
one, but I, I will say it did. A, there were a couple of points where it suffered from the, uh, the the hindrance that we talked about in regards to something that was a stage play or meant for the stage being turned into a motion picture. So it had a little bit of claustrophobia to it, but that aside, the performances and the conversations and the dialogue and the subject matter really drove this movie for me, and I highly recommend it. I, I really loved this movie. I thought it was terrific. I, I have to say... I was the one who was complaining a lot during Ma Rainey that they do the trick that I hate where it's like they open and they're all, well, we got to get inside this room where all the action is going to happen. And like they try to fake it. I thought they did. I thought Regina King did a really good job on this one where she we get one sustained scene with all four of the main characters outside of the main setting so that the movie kind of breathes a little bit and you get to meet them in more of their natural environment. And then you go lock yourself in a room for, for the rest of the time. And I thought, obviously, you can tell that it was a play. It does feel stagey once they sort of settle into that hotel room. But I thought that was a really clever way to sort of start it off. And we were about 15, 20 minutes in the movie before I even remembered that it was based on a play because you get that. Like there's that great scene where you know Jim Brown goes to visit Bo Bridges in in Georgia, and we get Muhammad Ali doing this photo shoot out by the pool, and we get a, even a little taste of him at the Sonny Liston fight. So anyway, I, I I thought this was a, at least a clever way to sort of break free of some of the bonds of being stagey, even though of course there's no way to avoid that. Yeah, an hour plus of the movie is literally just four guys acting in a in a room together. Sure, but I agree. The way the characters were introduced, each of them kind of in their own world and learning a little bit about them before we bring these four titans together for this night, for this scene. I, I thought, I agree. It was well done. I mean, there were only some stretches where I wouldn't have minded seeing them, uh, you know, get out of that room and do something else. But aside from that, yeah, the the exploration of like what, what it was like. So we, the interesting thing to me, what it was like in the civil rights era, you know, obviously shit was horrific for uh, many people in this country, some people of color especially. And But it really resonates when you see four of the most famous men in the world still, like, for, for it, it's no better, basically, for these men that you would think have everything. Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali. Is there anyone more famous in life than Muhammad Ali? But having to navigate these, the trials and tribulations of racism and civil rights and just the, the conversations, really powerful and really resonated. And I just want to, one more thing. You mentioned that scene with Bo Bridges. That was like, what a gut punch that scene was. Because Bo Bridges was such a genteel and just friendly and, like, seemed to go way back with the Jim Brown character. And then at the end of that scene, the way the racism just sneaks up out of nowhere, it was such a stark reminder. And that that was a brilliantly done scene. Yeah, he Michael Richards him. <laughs> yes, he did. He totally Richards him. Don't Richards it, man. I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I one thing we we talked about. I don't I don't remember. Oh, Mank. I think we talked about this with Mank. Well, we say this a lot where there's films where they just kind of expect you to just have the history. Like you got to know, you got to know your Mank. We're not going to oh, teach yeah. you if, about. If you Mank, didn't know Citizen Kane going into. You Mank, just got to like know you your Mank. Mank stank. Yeah. Yeah. Or you got to have a little stank of Mank on you. You're not going to follow this at all. 
There you go. Yeah, no thanks if you don't know Mank. This movie is just as steeped in its era and in context as Mank, and yet does a, a really remarkable job of, like, setting things up. So even if maybe you didn't know what the significance of them was, like, they're telling you through context clues so that you figure it out on your own, which is not easy to do. Like, like by the time... Sam Cook performs A Change Is Gonna Come towards the end of the film. I mean, I knew that song. It's a super famous song from the 1960s. But if you were a young person, you didn't know that song, you would understand the significance of Sam Cook singing that song by the end of this movie, just based on the conversations you've heard around it. And like, they do that a bunch. Like, there's a lot of different threads that they're pulling through where they're kind of like giving you the story of these guys' careers just through subtlety and conversation and like not making it an explicit thing that is like really well done. And like, it's woven through in a really like thoughtful way. Like you could go into this pretty blank. Like, I don't know that much about Jim Brown's career, to be honest. Like I know obviously who he is. I know more from the movie side. I mean, he was in a lot of dozen. Right. These are a lot of classic films. So, like, I know See Jim Brown. See the dirty Brown. dozen, everybody, by the way. I, Jim I know, Brown's Yeah, I know Jim film. Brown from, like, right, exploitation movies. But, yeah, it's, it's totally different and, you know, fascinating to see uh, a movie that, that doesn't just assume you're going to know the history. Like, there's a there's a reference early on. Malcolm X is talking about how he might start working on this book and he met some journalist and he doesn't even say him by name. And I'm already like, oh, it's Alex Haley because he ends up writing the autobiography of Malcolm X with him. But then they get they weave it around by the end. The movie is like, see, that writer he was talking about was Alex Haley and they're going to work on this book together. And it's like it, 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 it's actually teaching you instead of just assuming you already know the shorthand. And I thought that was uh, really well done. Yeah, absolutely. And just the framework, you know, I knew, I, I know Malcolm X, Nation of Islam, and the one of the great civil rights leaders of the 1960s, but just the context that he was, oh, this was at the time when he was contemplating leaving the Nation of Islam. It, and, and it de- delivered it all artfully. And what you're talking about with the Sam Cooke and him writing what turned out to be a real anthem of the 1960s, the discussions of his music and the great scene comparing it to Bob Dylan and with with Malcolm X talking about the, the music of Bob Dylan. There are, yeah, lovely scenes, artfully, artfully delivered context for sure. Yeah, it's a good movie. Check yeah, it out, uh, folks. And the guy played Ed... I'm looking at Ed Corey. The guy's playing Muhammad Ali is like Eli Gorey. Eli Gorey. He is incredible. Like he's doing the voice and he's doing the faces and it's like a perfect impression. That's a tough job. It's it's both a great performance and like a note perfect. Like I love the movie Ali, the Michael Mann movie with Will Smith playing him. But Will Smith is he's doing it as like it's a character. Like he's not impersonating the real guy. He's doing his own take on it. This guy is like, no, no, I'm going to just make myself look and sound exactly like Cassius Clay and then also act as that guy. And it's like crazy. Like there's some moments where you're like, oh, my God, it's like, nope, perfect. You really, yeah, you really have to ride the line there as an actor to be able to give a thoughtful, lived-in performance, but also kind of resonate. I am this person. I feel like I'm watching this person. So that's really well done. There's one scene, too, where he's in the room talking to them like a normal guy, and then he goes outside, and we only hear him. 
to talk to the press and you hear him turn on the like, oh, you know, he does like he, he becomes the, the, the guy like the. Persona. Yeah. And I will say the performances really drive this movie. Kingsley ah. Ben-Adir, who plays Malcolm X. I mean, you're stuck in a room with these four guys. The performances better drive the demo. Yeah. <laughs> but, Did you know, um, by the way, yeah. Kingsley Ben-Adir, the guy who plays Malcolm X, he also played Barack Obama in that Showtime series, The Comey Rule. Oh, no, I did not realize that. So in one year, he played Malcolm X and Barack Obama. They're just like knocking out those notable Americans. Yes, ticking some boxes there. But I was going to say, his performance is so great because the other three people, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, and Sam Cooke, are very worldly celebrities, whereas Malcolm X is this devout civil rights leader and man of faith. And I thought he really held his own and came across different in that way. Uh, I mean, th the energy that these actors were bringing were great. And Leslie Odom Jr., who you might have seen in Hamilton, played Sam Cooke. And yes, the man can absolutely carry a tune. And, and he these these performances were all so complex because, yeah, talking about, again, how they resonate in society, but what it was like to be a person of color in America in the 1960s. So absolutely worth checking out. One Night in Miami, Amazon Prime, there it is. Lon, we were not so, I know at least you weren't, not as high on Night Stalker from Netflix, uh, from the files of true crime, it's it's it was just like I, I I don't know like the the whole thing they they spend like five minutes at the beginning like L A in the eighties it was like two cities because glamour but also bad things and it's like okay that's a, a, every city all the time there are rich parts and poor parts and some things are good and some are bad what else you got for me and then it totally abandons any attempt to have any sort of context or relevance. And it's just like, here are the two guys that caught this killer and here's what they did. And then literally four episodes, it is these two detectives and they're like, well, then, you know, we, we figured out that he went to this dentist. So we sent some guys to wait at the dentist office. But then on the day that he showed up to the dentist, those guys weren't there. So we didn't, we didn't catch him. But then he killed this other guy and he left a shoe print, and we were like, that looks like the shoe print from this other guy that got killed. It's probably the same guy. So, you know, we figured out that was the same guy. Uh, and he broke in this other guy. And it's just this for, like, hours. And this is like, are we going to, like, is this, does this matter? Like, I don't, like, yeah, I, we so caught four the guy. Part, four hour, four yeah, part, like, four hour. Yeah, like, let me jump to the end. We, we fucking caught the guy. Like, and yeah. then he, he, you know what? <laughs> He's dead. He died in prison years ago. Right. I just... Like, people were like, oh, this is glamorizing Richard Ramirez is the name of the guy who did these crimes. And like, oh, it's glamorizing. But like, it doesn't glamorize him. It's just like, why do we need to talk about him? Like, I'm glad that the these guys did a good job and caught him and that he's not night stalking anymore. But like, I'm good. I don't I don't know if I need to hear the intimate details of his night stalking. Yeah, I mean. As you know, as far as this series goes, for me, it's, it scratches the true crime itch. If you want to see like a serial killer's a murders, you know, broken down and the hunt for him broken down. Yeah, I mean, if you are a fan of night stalking, if you're just like, I need to see some night stalking, this has a lot of it. It's a, a decent amount of night stalking. I mean, th yes, there is. I mean, th this guy. I mean, he he did all his he did all his shit after the sun went down. That was for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> 
It's not like you were praising him for doing it all himself. Like, this is, listen, folks, this is homemade artisanal serial killing, okay? He's not farming this shit out. He's not taking any shortcuts. Everything's by hand, farm to tail, farm to table, head to snout, serial killing. Only the purest, finest. Lon. In um, these hills in Concord, Vermont. <laughs> no, I, 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 th- I think you might have misconstrued me because uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, here's a hot take from me. I'm not a fan of serial killing. I am not going, I'm probably not going to praise a serial killer unless he's doing kind of a Dexterish kind of uh, serial killing of other serial killers. Every morning I get up at 530 to start prayer, preparing for serial killing, just like my granddaddy and my great granddaddy used to do. Like that's, that's just what I was Never mind. I know you're not in praise of serial killers. Uh, but, but I will say that, and, and I've um, seen this in, in some reviews since then, that it was, it did, the series, it did kind of have this salacious, glamorous point of view. Oh, it's on, salacious for sure. Like, there's so many close-ups of, like, a bloody hammer, like, in slow-mo, tumbling. They actually do these, like, Fight Club, David Fincher computer animated recreations of the crime scene where it's like you're swooping around like look at this bloody piece of drape that was behind this woman's head that exploded it's just like why man why yeah it really and and that blurs the lines like if between you know documentary and like what just entertainment the fantastical liberties that you're taking in telling the story like i don't like I I recoiled when I saw that like the blood dripping off this weapon that they did you know just to to make it that much more salacious. I thought I thought it was pretty gross. Yeah, just to be like everything was covered in blood. This guy was just like killing people and there was blood. It's like, yeah, that's what happens when you kill people. I get it. But it's just like it's just totally free from any like meaning. Like we're not yeah, that was straight up Jason Voorhees shit that they were showing us. Yeah, but that, but Jason Voorhees is fun. It's supposed to be a goof. Nobody's getting killed. Yes, These are real but people. But when you take that element where it's like, look at all the blood, which is essentially what those shots are saying, it's it doesn't sit right. No, it, you're it, right. you're absolutely right. It don't, because it don't hit the same. Well, also you know? they'll go from like you know a person today like, and I just you know I mean I just I never got to see my grandmother again, and then it'll go right into that like it's just like human the the human suffering that this caused right into like yeah look at the blood spatter on this wall and it's like yeah I can enjoy that in Dexter because it's fake. But like I don't know, maybe I, I, you know, I'm like, look, I know there's like my favorite murder, and there's there there there. I'm not saying true crime's not viable or it's not okay to like it. This this I do think like approaches that line where it's like it's kind of unseemly. I just I, I wanted there to be. But you bring up something important, Lon. It's it's a, it's absolutely a viable question for a lot of true crime. How exploitative is it? Well, I just, I think that it has to have... You know, are they using these very real murders, this loss of life, to feather their nest with entertainment? I just, I just, I want to feel like there's some point of view to this thing beyond just, like, murder. In- interesting, right? In- interesting purely on its own terms. Like, mm-hmm. like I'll Be Gone in the Dark last year, like... It, it, it had true crime elements. You were hearing all about these guys' crimes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But... It was telling you another story as well about Michelle McNamara and her journey and 
why she was compelled by this the story. The perspective of that series, I think, uh, inherently lifts the material because it was following the dual thing of the crime and Michelle McNamara's journey. But, it, I mean, it, absolutely superior. And I will say, you know, they didn't have these over-the-top bloody recreations, but it was still frightening. that They were still able to scare you uh, with the descriptions of this horrific, the Golden State Killer. Right. Serial killers are scary. You don't need to like, look at this bloody knife that we put made in the studio that probably looks like the one that that guy used for his night stalking. I just, I just, it wasn't interested in it really at all. But it, like, I mean, it does, like I, like I was saying uh, before, though, it does, you know, fill the. If you are a true crime fan or just a fan of serial killers and their horrific acts, Night Stalker, it, you know, it, it does scratch that itch. And there are some really fascinating parts. I mean, the, you know, everything else aside, they get access to someone who escaped from Richard Ramirez and they have the cops and like just hearing the cops talk about the investigative journey that was interesting and then two the the, the two most fascinating things to me or two of the most fascinating things from this were the fact that Richard Ramirez this this grotesque murderer who was indiscriminate about who he would kill uh, he became a sex symbol women would write him letters. That happened. Like, all the guys on death row always get, like, fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes. Um, Charles Manson got married in prison. But the way they described it, this was next level. And with him, like, they showed him coming into the court wearing sunglasses and acting like he was some kind of, like, like pop star or something. The, the way he was, like, looking around and, like, checking people out. And it, you just... Like who? Like the what person would be would hear about the Night Stalker? Because most aren't most people like, oh yeah, I have a I'm going out on a blind on a blind date tonight. I hope he's not a serial killer. <laughs> like they want the serial killer. You don't you don't want you don't want to be the one who's serial killed. You want to be the inside. You want to be the one he wouldn't serial kill. That's the fantasy. Yes, you, it's, you, it's if the, you want to yeah, reform I mean, him, I mean, it's like we don't have to get into this because we're too fucking dudes and no one cares what we think about this but like that's a thing that a lot of ladies that's like the twilight thing it's like the day it's the danger it's like i'm not gonna get burned by the fire but i'm gonna like dance right next to the fire it's like that's the that's the but I, I but i gotta admit he's got some good cheekbones that richard ramirez some good cheekbones yeah you know it's the fantasy is that you'd be the one woman he would tell about his crimes but he would never do anything to you that's the oh that's my the God. that's that's the good stuff Mm, uh, call me old-fashioned, but I call that poor judgment. Uh, also, the, the the way he was captured was really fascinating, that he, he just got mobbed by a group of people who recognized who he was and he couldn't get away. And yeah, that, I think that, 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 that was, that's the, you know, like, you do enough night stalking and you let enough people go. I think that was the fatal flaw in his crazy murder rampage was a lot of people were getting away. And, like, you got to lock that down, man. Because when a few people get away, now they've seen your face. It's a whole thing. You got to – you can't have a lot of people out there knowing what you look like, especially if you got kind of a weird look like he had. Not weird for some ladies out there. They were like, ooh, give me that sweet, sweet Night Stalker. Yeah, it was a little – he's got like a – he's got like a 10% Buscemi thing going on. He's got a little – he's got a touch of Steve Buscemi around the eyes. (laughs) Just a touch, just a faint, just a dash of Buscemi. Strong, strong jaw, 
good cheekbones, but all sorts of crazy. Little little Buscemi up top, yeah. Night Stalkers on Netflix if you're interested. Lon, you turned me on to a, another show on Netflix that I was I was pleasantly surprised by. Oh, I fucking loved this thing, man. This is so good. It's a Spanish horror series, 30 Coins, 30 Coins on Netflix. 30 Monedas. Gracias, amigo. Uh, what, what a cool, crazy, weird... I, here's what I love, and I was going to bring this up before when we were talking about how it's got to work on two levels at once and it's bananas, and this kind of bugged me in WandaVision, but does not, I find it delightful in 30 Coins, because it's a horror drama, and a lot of horror dramas have this situation where the characters are week-to-week facing incredibly intense horror, but then they also have to have drama. Like, it's got to just also be a TV show. So, like, in this one, there's a subplot about, like, one of the dudes who's facing the demonic horror is mayor of this little town, and he's got, like, a wife, and she, like, disagrees about how to run things in the town. And they're doing this subplot like a regular show where, like, they're bickering and, like, the politics is kind of getting in the way of their marriage. And he's got this other woman that he, he had this veterinarian in the town that he also spends time with. And there's a little jealousy there. And so that story is going on. But then in another scene, he will, like, walk through a mirror and do battle with, like, a literal demon. But you and, and these two scenes exist side by side. So it's like, ah, the power of Christ compels you. Blah, oh, a monster. And then he'll go home and he'll be like, honey, I thought we talked about this. Like, it's just like happening at the same time. It's amazing. And the show, it, it, seem, it seems very self-aware that it is having fun. And it's got like one leg in this world and one leg in that other world. Because there are so many unexpected zingers and like little one-liners. And just the, the characters... It, the show isn't like stodgy and stuffy and just like, oh, it's a religious drama. Like it's God versus devil and it's so serious. Like there are so many moments of levity here. Like I was I was caught off guard by it and I really love that aspect. Also, one thing that I found, this is just maybe a personal thing, but the, the old style villas and villages that they're in seem to like, they... It's a lot of classic architecture and old towns that have been around for centuries. But then someone will mention Twitter or you'll see a like a 2020 Ford F-150 parked outside. And it's oddly anachronistic. It's really like I was just the, the way the show operates. The, the, I mean, and it's probably just my own personal thing, but it's like, oh, you see these houses and these small villages that have been around forever. But. It's very modern as Yeah, well. and it's kind of just a European, like, part of life that we don't have here because nothing here is that old. But, like, yeah, they don't just, like, bulldoze their old cities and, like, build modern stuff on top. So, yeah, I mean, a part of the plot, too, of 30 Coins is that he's, like, an exiled priest. So he was an exorcist. Things didn't go well in one of his cases, and he kind of gets exiled to this remote village. So we are in, like... It's supposed to be kind of a bumpkin country town that he's in, which is why in some ways it looks so rural and and outdated. But yeah, it's like that high low. And and the show is kind of playing with that, too. It's like modern people in their modern context, but they're fighting these like biblical enemies. And it's like these thousand year old ancient cults that they're up against. And so it's kind of having some fun with living in that kind of in-between world. Yeah, and there's there's some fun creature stuff in this show. It's it's a goofy kind of crazy right. And, and Alex de la Iglesia, the guy who created it, is like a cult filmmaker in Spain. He's done Eight Hundred Bullets is a really fun movie of his. The Last Circus is another good one. 
So yeah, it does. You're absolutely right. It, it's 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 dancing on this line between taking itself seriously and having fun with itself and uh, being full blown horror and like one foot in the real world. Yeah. The best bar none. The best opening credits sequence that I have seen in uh, I don't know how long because it explains like it, it essentially explains what the thirty coins is if you don't know about thirty the thirty it's, uh, silver we, we could, from the Bible. This isn't a spoiler. Yeah. It, it, a lot of the show and a lot of the, the supernatural conspiracy at the heart of the show concerns trying to gather all of the thirty coins, the thirty pieces of silver that Judas was paid to betray Christ in in the Bible. That's that's the that's the signature. And, and and one scene we're told the the person who gets all 30 coins together, it would be more powerful than the Ark of the Covenant. Even if you were able to gather all 30 coins paid to Judas together. Oh, shit. The Ark of the Covenant melts faces, which dude. we know from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like they had to put it in the back of that warehouse because it was so dangerous. Oh, yeah. Top men looking, looking <laughs> after it. So if you want to jump on board and, you know, read a few subtitles. It's well worth it. Oh, well yeah. worth so it. So fun. Really silly yeah. and, and crazy. And if you like horror, I, it's the best horror show in, in a little while. Although I do like, there's that CBS one, Evil, that was way better than I thought it had any. It's coming back for a second season next year. It's with Mike Coulter, who was Luke Cage. Yes, Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. And Michael Emerson is the bad guy, who was Ben Linus on Lost. That's another show with like a demonic exorcism sort of conspiracy at its heart that is... I like this one better, but that one was also pretty good. So there's there's a there's been a run of like pretty decent horror dramas lately. I I highly recommend this one. Right on. Oh well, I, maybe I'll have to check out Evil because I've I've not seen any of that. If you've got CBS All Access, you could go watch all of season one of Evil right now. Noted. Thirty coins on Netflix. Yes, worth it. And I think that takes us to the end of our little chat about programs today, Lon. The chat about programs was our original title, but it's being used already. Yep. So we went with Binge Boys. Thank you, hashtag Owl Nation. No. Shout out to Starburns. Thanks to everybody over there. Thanks to our super producer, Adam Macias. Thank you to Jason Kay for our rockin' riffs that open our show. And thank you to everybody for listening. Please go to iTunes and give us a big old five-star rating if uh, you are so inclined. Lon, please tell us what's what's going on with you. Where can we find you? Find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. Unlike our former president, I've not been kicked off yet, so it's a great place to come find me. And if you want to read five days a week all of my thoughts on everything going on in the world of streaming TV, it is totally free. Sign up for the Inside Streaming newsletter. That's at inside.com slash streaming. Good job. And I am at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K, on Instagram and Twitter. And why don't you go over to Twitch, if you do that kind of thing, and subscribe to twitch.tv slash chuckleface, where I'm doing multiple comedy shows a month. If you you like the laughs, yeah, join us on Chuckleface. Lon, thank you, and everybody else, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.